bud. How are you, my friend? Good, how are you? Can you see me? Good. Where are you calling from? Uh, Texas. Texas. All I can see, you're like a black silhouette with um, a nice cloudy sky behind you. Should we keep it uh, mysterious or should I move? I kind of like it. <laughs> I think it work. it'll work for a John Ferrara. Sounds good. Yeah. Uh, cool. Should I, I should record, yeah? Yeah, you can record to the cloud or your computer. I'm recording on my computer. Um, it should hopefully be fine um, if there is. Uh, I have better Wi-Fi here, so there's at least that. Okay. Um, I just have to request permission from you to record. I give you permission, oh. my friend. Okay, thank you. Thanks. All right, so it's recording. The, the power of Zoom compels you. Yes. Okay, I'm on gallery view. Good. I made you. And you have, you're recording? You're not recording. Yeah. I am. Okay, I trust you. I'm recording, yes. Okay. Like, and how do I, you think I'd figure this out. You could take one week off, you lose everything. <laughs> how's, how's, your week how's your week off from, uh, from, from this event? Um, good. What did, how, just uh, plugging away, lessons, all that, working on some cool new stuff with students. Um, starting to talk with the special guys about getting together and hopefully doing a stream this week. Um, so we're able to do it. You know, we've all been like self quarantining now for the last six weeks and, you know, still kind of like adhere to all the guidelines and it's a big open space where we practice, but yeah, I think we need to get together and do some stuff for the fans, for the yep. people. I think it's time. Plus it's just, uh, you know, it feel good to get back at it. Yeah, exactly. Everyone's been super hyper-focused in their own world and working on their own stuff, which has been great. So I think now we get together a bit more refreshed and uh, get back to work. Cool. Yeah. How you been, buddy? What are you, what are you doing in Texas? I am uh, here at uh, Cece, my fiance's uh, grandmother's house. She's oh, cool. currently in hospice, unfortunately. Oh, gotcha. We're down here. Her and her father are there. Um, so this is our, um, we're here to be with her in this time. And um, yeah. yeah. Wow. Where in Texas? Uh, Amarillo. Amarillo. Yep. Got a, uh, you're not going to be able to see it. They're big. I can see it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Big Texan. We had some steaks yesterday. Wow, fire. And I can also see that you shaved your beard, which I couldn't tell in your shadow before. I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> That's why you wanted to be just a dark silhouette today. Now I got it. I plan to be in here. This is um, Pop-Up's uh office this is where his desk where he worked he built cool. houses um, oh wow cool he passed away uh six years ago uh, yes i think yesterday um oh. and uh, uh dorothy nana has been here since mm -hmm. i got a chance to develop a relationship with her um cool. in the past year or two and she's a yeah. really really cool lady i'm very very grateful to have, to have met her i came here we actually picked out the engagement ring cc and i i brought this big like un ungodly heavy book on tour out west, uh, you know, we were doing a couple festivals, and then I was going to meet her here um, mm. because we still weren't living together. Right. Um, or were we? I don't remember. No, I don't. No, we weren't living together yet. So I, I shoved it in my my carry on, like in where the backpack straps go of my rolling case, and it was the most annoying thing to cart around. I was like, "There's the internet." Why, why was it a book? Because the person we used to uh, um, our family friend, Cece's family friend from Manassas, um, so. Uh, um, CC's parents are here with us as well, mm -hmm. uh, Amy and Mark, and they use uh, Nita Jewelers, shout out Nita Jewelers, Ferry, 
very lovely lady in Manassas who um, she said take this book and you can just take it with you and, and decide you know whenever and just bring it back when you're done so I was like all right sounds good wow. I took this giant book and Cece and I looked through it downstairs uh, the one time I was here and um, spent time and then uh, Dorothy actually came to Dallas on November 21st of last year uh, it was Cece's birthday and Cece was born in Dallas so she came she flew out uh, to be with me in the midst of a six-week tour or I think it was five weeks I don't remember but a long time and uh, Nana stayed the whole show and she wanted to even come to the after party and we were like I think <laughs> we're gonna you know we're, we'll do that on our own and we'll see you for breakfast wow fire um, yeah really really cool cool lady and you know I've only seen her met her a few, couple times a few times but I feel very close with her and very honored yeah. to, to have met her and, and, and spent time with her uh, it's so badass when um, older folks can come out to the show and she, you, know, you typically go, oh, you don't want to be standing too long ago, and they're like, hell no, <laughs> I'm, I'm here. It was at Granada Theater, so there's a nice place for her to sit. As far oh, as nice. back, you know, I brought her earplugs just in case, you know, she hated yeah. it, close it off. But oh, I'm sure she loved it. I'm going to like an old, nice theater to see a show, probably brought back some uh, cool memories for her, you. Know? Yeah, we, we talked to uh, her family who live in Wichita Falls. Um, CC, uh, the hospice is only allowing two people in total, which is weird that you can only let, you know, two people in at all. So, yeah. Um, Cece and her father are going in, but she's able to FaceTime with friends and family uh, mm. with them. Um, yeah. but they were saying how much she talked about the show and how much she enjoyed it. And, you know, she got to see cool. her, her only granddaughter uh, meet the love of her life and her soulmate yeah. and get engaged. So, you know. Oh, that's great. Um, but with all that happy stuff out of the way, shall we invite our good friend John Ferreira into... Yeah. Now, let's get dark with Ferrara. Back to basics. Yeah, buddy. All right. Um, I'm going to internet him in here shortly. And thanks to everyone who's been watching this whole uh, experience as we've been experiencing it. Uh, it's been an honor to see everyone enjoying it and to share this time with you. And I feel, you know, we've always connected and it's cool to like connect on a deeper level and, yeah. uh, you know, start, start this thing together. So. Yeah, man. It's been great to do it together. And it's been great having our, our bases, our base buds. Like we've said, it's like, Everyone we've done it with, it feels like you develop more of a deeper connection with them. It's awesome. There he is. Hey, there he is. What's up, John? Man, you look like a villain in like a <laughs> James Bond movie. I know, right? Like the the bright white clouds and sky behind, just this dark silhouette. Yeah, I can't. I can't hear you guys yet. Okay, one second. <laughs> oh yeah. There's that clean face. Right Look at that clean shaven boy. Wait, hold on, I'm still not hearing you. Oh, you want a respirator fit right over that. Looking good, bud. I like it. Nice and fresh. Yeah, I got to fly during a pandemic, so that's a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. And I might be able to drive a 20-foot uh, truck across the country in a pandemic, too. Is that why you shaved your beard? <laughs> I'd wanted to. Uh, it was a good excuse, but it would be, I'd been planning for this. Um, okay. Not wow. That's courage I couldn't take. I couldn't shave it. Johnny boy, you there? You hear yeah, us? Yeah, I'm here. All, All right. right. How are you guys? Very good. Very good. Thanks, man. thanks for being on. Yeah, thanks for having me. This is cool. Absolutely. Yeah, man. So this is, you are live from the John Ferrara zone right here. This is where you do your streams and your lessons and everything. Yeah, for now. Yeah. Um, I kind of set up my whole apartment to be that. So I have like my whole yeah. pedal board right here, my foot pedals, three different amps for looping and yeah. all sorts of stuff. And yeah, honestly, it's funny. Like I I've been doing like Skype lessons for like almost 10 years now. But wow. I know that for a fact. Live stream stuff. I, I took lessons from from you, John. Yeah, I know. 
Cool. Yeah. yeah, for a while too. Yep, that was uh, that was great. I enjoyed that a lot. Yeah, yeah, me too, man. I need to sign up for one, man. Anytime, dude. I I, re- I really would actually love to do that. Um, we'll, I'll have to get at you after this about it for sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hit me up, dude. Of course. My parents had a a babysitting co-op uh, when they moved to my neighborhood where there's no money exchange you just when you babysit someone else's kids you get credits and when then you know you need to have someone babysit you just use those credits and no money was exchanged and i think that'd be a cool thing to do with bass lessons too or just like life lessons because yeah a lot about bass that i am nowhere near either of you um but i can dress myself (laughs) (laughs) so i got that going oh well well, you know with you ben you have an awesome just natural feel for bass true you know like like when you play like you groove like naturally, which is cool. Like that's something that can't be taught, which I always thought was, was a, I, something I always appreciated about your playing. That's something I've, I've tried to focus on. Um, I think to my detriment a little bit over-focusing on it and not um, strengthening the other aspects of my playing. But um, you know, even with just developing my ear, uh, letting it express itself before even really delving too much into theory. And I knew peripherally things, but you know, let's see what I really like and what works. And then I can understand what I'm doing and why I'm doing it. Um, now I'm feeling that I, you know, am ready for a lot more, which is why I'm, uh, I've been teaching a little bit, but I also started taking lessons from my original bass teacher, um, from nice. my life ago, Dave DeMarco, yeah. shout out Dave. Nice. Um, probably hmm. join us at some point. Uh, but yeah, John, I remember something you told me at a mad tea party. Um, uh, I think it was the first year it was at that, uh, the second to last property. Um, yeah, yeah. Is yeah. that the one that had the big storm one year where it had an end no, early? The year or two before that. Okay, gotcha. Yeah, and I, I remember, uh, I don't know if it was during a lesson uh, later or during the festival that, you know, I was asking about, like, if you had any suggestions or tips on playing, and you said, you know, that you noticed that I stay in one part of the neck and just feel free to explore a lot more of it. And I remember thinking that's very useful and very good, but also you know, it's, it's interesting that I do stay in one area um, because I think it's, I'm not thinking as much about exploring the space and exploring the feel. Um, but I have carried that with me uh, to this day and think about sometimes we're playing, we're like, oh, go somewhere else, you know, do something yeah. else. Yeah, to see what else is there. And it's funny, you can have an entire career, the first five frets of the bass. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and not really do much else and it totally is fine. And you could do cool stuff there. But, I remember when I first started playing, it, everything was open strings, you know, then I, I now, you know, the songs we play just aren't usually like that. And then when I got the five string, there's just no need to do that as much. And um, as I'm teaching students, I'm like, oh, yeah, that's that's an approach. You know, you kind of start, you know, like a microscope with the the 1x and then 5x and 20x and you build your way up from there. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. John, where he's at 5,000x. <laughs> right. Well. John, you're definitely somebody that isn't in one area of the fretboard. Um, and <laughs> you've been super busy this year. You put out two albums already in 2020, right? Yeah, yeah. I put out a debut solo album and my second duo album, which is, it's a live album. Mm-hmm. It's pretty much the same songs as the, uh, the first album I put out, but just live versions of them with a couple of extra tracks, like two new tracks. And that was at the uh, Museum of Modern Renaissance, it's called, right? Yeah. So that place looked like a trip. Oh, dude, it was one of the coolest places I've ever been in, and I can't believe we got to play there. Like, I wish you pull that off. Single show. Yeah. So, um, uh, this this girl Alice Feldman, who puts on a festival called Jetlag, it's like mm-hmm. a um, it's like a Russian music festival in upstate New York. We were gonna play it this year. <laughs> oh, really? Yeah. <laughs> 
that's cool. Yeah. Um, yeah, she um, she helped me put it together. Like she knew the people who own the place and are the artists. And we kept on thinking like for the duo stuff, which you've seen the duo before. Um, I've never seen the duo perform. Oh no, okay. I saw you guys once at Lizard Lounge when yeah, you played with yeah. Club Dell. That's the only time I've seen it. Yeah. And so for that kind of music, we were thinking like, you know, like venues just like normal venues just don't make sense. Like, you know, it's, it's more contemplative music and yeah. it gets a little raucous at the times, but a lot of it gets whisper quiet and stuff like that. So we were thinking, you know, if we have this weird kind of esoteric craziness that we're doing, let's try, let's try to find venues that like would add to the experience kind of, know, and kind of suggest a more contemplative you yeah. know, uh, demeanor. So we, uh, she, she mentioned that place when I mentioned like that, that kind of general description and she was like, yeah, this place would be perfect. And sometimes they have concerts or like DJs come in or whatever. So I was like, yeah, I looked it up online. I was like, are you kidding me? This would be perfect. Yeah. And it was incredible. It was one of the best shows I've ever played. I, like wow. I said, I really wish like every show that I play for the rest of my life could just be at that venue or venues like it. Or with people just <laughs> listening and zoned in and not just like talking with their buddies or whatever, which yeah. in a social setting and that, that's fine, right? But there is something to be said for people just tuned in and listening. Yeah. And you know, it, that was one of the weird things like when Consider the Source first started being like, um, getting in, embraced by the jam scene, which we're very fortunate that we were. Um, but at least, you know, the, um, the band at that point, uh, me and Gabe and Justin, our original drummer, we had all come from like jazz backgrounds or like, you know, we, we were into jazz and classical music, rock, of course, um, and a lot of other things. But like when I used to go to a show, it was typically like a jazz show. So it was right. like you sit and you check it out and you're like, mind is blown by the by every nuance of it so that was like my point of reference for live shows and it was great having like a more raucous audience and like people who are just getting down you know like i i don't think i'll ever not want to have that yeah of course. but it's definitely cool to have a balance of it you know where there's like you know i have a, a couple projects now that are just the chillest atmospheres and then consider the source to play electric and do like right you know, yeah, and one of my favorite shows I've ever been to was Modesky Martin and Wood at a church in Brooklyn, um, like yeah. 10 years ago. And it was a church, like not a music venue. It was just a church. Dude, churches are the best, the yeah. best venues. Yeah. I saw this guy, um, you know, Candy Rat Records, that record uh, label yeah. that does all the acoustic guitar guys. Right. There's a dude named Ian Ethan Case who plays a double neck guitar, but he only taps on it pretty much, or mainly taps on it. And he played at a church in Woodstock. And holy shit, dude, it was like on like 35 people there. Top. Yeah. yeah. And every single person's life was changed by it. Like it was absolutely incredible. There is that kind of just sacred space you're entering. And regardless of your belief or situation or anything, there's something about that, like that just intense quiet. And whether it's just like the high arches or, I mean, th those are places that music has been played in for centuries, you know, and there's yeah. like an ancient vibe there that is really interesting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's really yeah, cool. so like, you know, that, that kind of environment to perform in and to just see music is just, I don't know, it's, it's just a different thing. You know, music can be so many things to, to different people and, and different kinds of music to the same person, you know, whatever, but right. man, everyone should experience that.
And so you guys have done, Consider the Source has done like acoustic and electric sets at festivals before. Yes. So how do you, how do you find that balance? Is there one that you'll kind of uniformly enjoy more? You're like, okay, now, now I got the electric rock shit over. Now I can chill out. Or is it the opposite or is it different values, different uh, setting, you know? You know, it's, it's, it's really just about appreciating what you're doing when you're doing it. You know, like there might be certain times where I'd prefer to do an acoustic or I'd prefer to do an electric just as far as like emotionally where I'm at at a given day or, or time period. But, you know, when it comes down to it, when you're on stage, you have to, for the sake of yourself and the audience, accept where you're at, what the environment is and play to the best that you can. And I think just after years and years of playing, I'm sure you guys know this too. It's like, you got to just, you just do it. Yeah. So I, I learned to just, I enjoy whatever it is, you know? Um, you know, th there, there's definitely like, like right now, um, I would prefer to do more like chill stuff, you mm -hmm. know, cause that's just where I'm at. Like yeah. personally, like if I, if I had a choice, it would be to, yeah. to do that. But, um, I mean, hell man, with COVID right now, I'd play any show. <laughs> I'd play any show in any way for anybody. Right. Any crowd, electric, acoustic, doesn't matter. Yeah. I mean, so that's cool. And that brings also, um, up your first, this is your debut solo album, a harmony of opposites that you put out this year, right? Yes. So that's exciting. Um, I've got, I got to check out a bit of your live stream that you did Sunday um, and you were playing a few different pieces off it. I caught the, um, the Philip Glass piece, uh, Glassworks. Um, yeah. That looks hard to play. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. That was like a rite of passage, man. That was, wow. yeah, that was kind of like, I love this piece. I need to learn it. Let's just figure it out and then spend months figuring it out. <laughs> how, how do you figure something like that out? Uh, like from, <laughs> Because is the piece a piano piece? Is it orchestrally like composed or? So it's part of a larger piece, but that's like the opening. It's like the glassworks opening. Um, and that part is, is the only part that's solo piano. Okay. And it gets into weird like synth, crazy polyrhythmic, arpeggiated madness. It's really cool. Yeah. But, um, but that piece is different. That's like its own thing. And, he, and I think he's kind of repurposed it in other pieces too. So how do you go about learning a piece like that or arranging it on bass? Um, well, the thing is with that, the reason I was kind of saying that was like a rite of passage was like, I had no idea. I was just yeah. like, of like, you know, I, I listened to it a lot and I first just try to dabble on the bass with what I already knew and said, all right, well, what can I, with what I know right now, what can I do with this? And some of the things worked out, like some of the positions, like the right hand in the beginning is doing like this toggling back and forth between a minor third. Um, the right hand though, there's a few positions that I had never really explored before. So the thing is, and this is what's cool about, um, tapping and also taking another instrument and trying to apply it to your instrument is that it forces you to grow. Yeah. You know, if it, it, you have to be a little bit, you have to be committed to it and a little bit obsessive, <laughs> but, um, I love that piece of death. So I was like, all right, well, first of all, what are the chords? So, um, what I did was I went on YouTube and I found like, you know, those like overhead videos of people playing piano and it kind of shows like what they're doing. Yeah. So I just did that and I just pressed pause every two seconds and just like looked at it, wrote them out. I was like, Oh, okay. I can see right. that. And then, and then figured out what of those voices I could actually play on the bass. Mm -hmm. I have a five with a high C. So like, um, it's a little bit more of an extended range. Right. So, you know, just kind of like, so, okay, so I can, do the outer I could do the bass notes and the melody some of the internal voices maybe I have to just like not worry about because I just can't do them 
right uh and then figure it out and what i was saying like in the in the the thing on sunday was you know sometimes your left hand has to play the melody sometimes your right hand but the thing is if you're committed to learning it you just find a way like you just mm -hmm. find a way to do it and i that's kind of like the main thing is just saying like fuck it i'm just gonna like yeah. sit here for as long as i have to and keep on looking at it and trying things out until the right position presents right. itself well it's wild man i you know it's it's a very unique cool thing that i i don't see any other bassist attempt and um it's pretty mind-blowing i think whether you're a musician or not um it's one of the cooler things too like um i've been talking about it with students and just I, on this podcast we've talked about it a bit like when you're figuring out chordal arrangements or compositions or melodies or thing with the bass whether you have four or five strings whether it's a low b or a high c like you you have to kind of figure out which parts of the melody and chord, like you, you said, that you yeah. want to take. So it's an interesting process, right? To, to go, okay, well, what, what tones give this chord that sound? Which ones can I omit? It's just a really interesting process that forces you to kind of use your ear and experiment. And like you said, ultimately grow from doing it. Yeah, yeah, and it's cool. Like, you know, you, like, you might be at one area, one time in your life with a certain song and, you know, omitting certain voices or whatever. And then you learn a few other songs or create your own songs and right. find ways around it that, oh wait, maybe I could fly that idea back into that original one. Right. You know? it's, yeah. it's, you, you have to just do your best and keep growing and see like kind of where it takes you. You say like, now, like, now, now, ideas okay, I had in the first couple more, you're gonna, you're gonna start using more tensions now. You're like, okay, I, I shied away from dissonance before, now you gotta embrace that shit. Yeah, exactly, exactly, That's yeah. Cool. Cool, very interesting. And so what else was kind of your process behind this solo album as, as um, a first release? As a, so, But you've obviously done, performed in a duo context, in a solo context before. Um, so yeah, just I was just curious about your process for composing and how you wanted to kind of frame this and release it. Yeah, well, so, um, so the, it kind of started with the duo project, I guess, because, you know, for the past 14 or so years, all my writing has been either in Consider the Source um, I applied to consider the source or just applied to myself in my bedroom, <laughs> you know, just like I have an idea. It doesn't exist anywhere. Um, there's no outlet for it. And then it got to a point where there was an, a lot of songs that I would show the guys. They'd be like, I have no idea what to do with that. And I'm like, I understand. I don't really know what could be done. done with it, so. <laughs> um, uh, you know, so I started playing with, with, with Seth for the duo project and uh, that gave me an outlet for some of that stuff. And then the same kind of thing happened there. I was like, all right, well, some of these pieces don't really work here either. Maybe they're just cool. Like a lot of the music I listen to, like Philip Glass is, is kind of solo piano stuff or solo guitar stuff. You just, um, keep, just keep moving people out of the equation. You just keep taking things out. Yeah, pretty soon I'm not gonna be here. It's just gonna <laughs> be your foot pedals eventually. No finger, yeah. no bass involved. Yeah, what I'm going to do is I'm going to just uh, put a USB drive into my brain yes. and then I'm just going to stop existing. And then like 200 years from now, someone will just upload it. Yeah. Like, wow, it's pretty cool. <laughs> That's what we're all going to do eventually, right? Yeah. <laughs> it's a dream. That's, That's the dream, yeah. That's the dream. Sure. Yeah, but uh, but yeah, I, I listen to a lot of just, um, like Brad Meldow, Chick Corea, mm -hmm. um, just players like that that just do so much cool exploring just on their own. I mean, when they're in a full band context, it's equally cool, but um, that's that kind of stuff just touches me, man. So I, when I started tapping and getting more and more into it, that's sort of like the aesthetic I'm going for is more like if you were to go see like a piano player just do a solo concert, that's what I'm trying to convey. Right. right. Yeah. Yeah, I can, I can very much uh, identify with that 
that feeling just, you know, you have your main thing that you've been doing and, you know, you're building your career around and then you have this other outlets you want to explore. It's I, my first instrument is piano and uh, I started right. Brad Meldow is one of my favorite uh, musicians. His stuff is incredible. And I just started and I was at home, uh, I had moved back home with my parents, stayed in the basement and I would just go up. They had a piano there that I first played on and I would just start messing around on it. And then I would come across a song that I, you know, hearing and I'm like, Oh, Oh, they, they did an E major here instead of E minor. Like, what's that about? And then started exploring and then, you know, writing a little bit of my own stuff. And I had some of my best musical experiences on my own, just in that front of that piano and uh, the desire to continue that process as I'm doing everything else. And, uh, you know, exploring that um, really, really drives me uh, and keeps the, the passion for music uh, expansive. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it's cool, you know, to have, to have all of it, just like we're saying with different venues and different, whatever, like, you know, the more opportunities you have to explore different areas of music, the more well-rounded you're going to be as a, as a player, you know, you're just going to, you know, you, you, like for me getting a five string bass, especially with a high C, I, I, I feel like I, I went from writing really cool riffs and, and cool songs to becoming like a composer. Right. You know, like right. it was a, it was like a transition where like, I never thought of myself as that. And then I started writing tunes that like, you know, wow, like I guess with, with tapping and exploring in this way, you can separate these voices and actually divvy them up in like an orchestra sure. setting or in a full band setting. Yeah. Different, you know, it's, different it's tools uh, create different, uh, you know, things, obviously. Yeah. yeah. You can access different parts of your creativity that maybe were dormant or, um, or just created, I don't know how to, how to describe it. Yeah, taking lessons from you uh, kind of opened that up as well. I felt uh, almost not quite prepared to get to that level yet, but seeing that possibility really just expand is like, whoa, okay, what is, what's possible within my own expression, my own voice? Um, and that's one thing I really took away from it. You know, it's, I, I do have more of the groove, like the feel type aspect of it, um, but that compositional mindset, uh, something that I look towards and something that is, you know, ingrained into the basis just, genre in general it's it's what what we kind of are we're, we're composers that are musicians in an, you know instrumentalists as well yeah yeah and, it, and it's funny because like you know like learning theory stuff like when you're not like when you're mostly when you've mostly just been playing on your own and not doing the theory thing and you're getting by pretty well and whatever like it's uh it's a little daunting and mm -hmm. painful to do the theory thing um yeah. i hated it when I was first learning it for sure. Uh, and there is the, the, the real danger of going too far down that rabbit hole and becoming sure. that like really staunch, like, wait a minute, you can't play that. That's not diatonically sound, you know, like right, things right. like that. And it's, you know, that's, that's bullshit. Yeah, well, you it's know, it's a passing tone. Yeah. That's what I always say. I'm just you know, that? working my way to it. Yeah. It's, it's interesting too, like, especially now on bass when so many, basis are at home and you're used to like being that rhythmic backbone and being next to that hi-hat or whatever context you play in and now uh, musicians and basses particularly we talk about it a lot on the show is just that you have to look at ways to make it more harmonically interesting mm -hmm. um yeah. i did my first stream i know you're a vet at it john i did my first one and i was kind of like you know at first intimidated by what am i really going to do here so the first step I did was set up my ditto looper. I said, well, I need to at least have some <laughs> two <laughs> yeah. things happening. Right. Uh, but it, it's cool to see bassists start to think outside the box. Um, and these are hopefully um, techniques and skills that they're going to then be able to apply to whatever group dynamic they're in normally. Yeah, yeah, I think so too. Yeah, I, I think in general, this is like a great time um, 
you know, uh, the, 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 the dangers of this whole situation aside, I, I have a feeling there's going to be like a, a creative artistic renaissance. Oh, I agree. But, yeah. Like there's so many people, like, I mean, it's all we can do now, you know, like you, you can create. Yeah. I mean, I'm sure we could still find ways to distract ourselves and be lazy fucks, but like, you know, I spent the first week playing, uh, I think it said I played 41 hours of Civilization 4. I don't believe that because <laughs> I haven't played a computer game since, although I'm deep into chess right now. So I'm oh, that's great. playing these three minute games uh, every now and then. It's, I need six minutes and I'm just go in there and get either pissed off or like, yes, I did it. Are you playing like online chess like yeah. uh, against the computer? Yep. Shout out to chess.com. Do you find them to be smarter than humans? And oh, no, I don't play against the computer. The computer, oh. yeah, they, they are going to win every time. They, they right. destroy humans. I do it <laughs> to practice and learn, um, you know, where my weaknesses are. Because uh, a lot of my approach is similar to my playing music, uh, sort of just um, trusting in the, the genius of the intuition. Um, just like mm -hmm. you develop that. And when you make a mistake, you feel it emotionally in your core. And you, next time you're in, in that type of situation you kind of feel what you want to do and what you don't want to do um i learned that playing against my friend in college you know he would sit there and think through the moves and i would just like look at the board just make a move and i would lose a lot but i feel like i developed my ability to play uh in an intuitive level and i think that really informed my playing musically um where the, the making mistakes are an inherent part of of developing and getting better um, and that's what i think john was saying about getting too stuck into the theory is you are more averse to making those mistakes that are necessary for, you know, for writing and, um, and creating. Um, but then at the same time you need in order to know why you made that mistake and why it is a mistake or why, even though it sounds wrong, it can be right or worked into it. Um, that's where you need to be more well-rounded, um, as well. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, it's funny, like speaking of, um, finding silver linings in this time and, and, and chess, there is a book called The Art of Learning by Josh Waitzkin. I'm not sure if you know who he is as a, as a chess player, but um, he was the dude yeah. who um, kind of like replaced Bobby Fischer as like our go-to chess champion to define American superiority in the, uh, <laughs> in the mental realm. Um, but he wrote this book that was like one of the most spiritually uplifting, brilliant books. And I don't know, I'm awful at chess. I have checkmated one person and it was, it was like my ex-girlfriend who was like just a little bit worse than me at chess. If you played <laughs> five times, I'd played like six times. Um, <laughs> We're going to have to get some chess games going. I'll, I'll send you the app. There you go. <laughs> yeah, good. Yeah. Yeah, we'll do some. See, we'll barter for base lessons. <laughs> yeah, there it is. There it is. What was his name again with wrote that book? Josh Waitskin. Josh, um, I, I swear you told me about him when we were taking lessons. I talk about him a lot. Yeah. Like this book like changed my life. Wow. It's, um, it's all about this dude who, like, from a young age, was just, like, this chess master. He used to go to Washington Square Park and just, like, wipe the floor with the dudes there who are all awesome. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, he started doing, like, tours and, and kicking people's ass overseas and doing all sorts of stuff. And he became just, like, the man. He was awesome. Um, and then, like, pressure got to him when he was, like, maybe in his early 20s or so. And he lost his love for chess. It became, like, an ego thing and not a love thing anymore. So he like kind of went out and found himself and started doing push hands Tai Chi instead, who just applied all the things that he was doing to chess, like the, the, like the mental mechanisms that he was using to, to get better and, and learn just to that and became a master at that.
Wow. So there's all the so it's a story about his life, but also interspersed with these lessons that are all like cut like equally applicable to being a musician. Wow. You know. Like, so a anything, right? Like, do you, do you think that that mastery is from a mental standpoint more than like a physical ability? Kind of is that like kind of the point of of this guy's philosophy? It's, it's probably the approach that you're taking versus the. Right you know, what the outcome, I, I actually, uh, I've been doing this meditation thing and today was about um, letting go of the results, you know, just taking the action and, you know, having the intention and then just letting things happen. I think that's, uh, you know, not without reading the book, but kind of knowing somewhat of what he's getting at. It's the right approach uh, informs everything. It's, it's how you do something. It's not what you're doing or what the result is, how you approach it. And that's going to yield whatever it yields that's sort of the mystery of, of life and how things go but you know yeah. gonna, like my my technique is very uh honed in and specific but it just came from what feels right you know what i wanted to do what i was listening for and that's what i've developed now um i think it's probably the same with all of us yeah yeah i think so yeah like it, it, his his thing was like um like thriving in chaos like that you know that made me think of like you know intuition like for him like a lot of people have like you know, uh, I guess chess wise, he was saying they'll have a good strong game or a good end game, yep. you know, or whatever. Uh, a, 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 I'm sorry, a good beginning game or a good end game. And um, he was saying he just winged it every time. He was like, I don't know what they're going to be doing. So yep. let me just get really good at thriving in chaos. Like whatever well, it ends up being, let me improvise. Let me try something new and then figure it out from there. Throw them off. It'll. If you become comfortable in that, uh, then you, you know, you have an advantage over others in, in, in the, in, game gamesmanship i suppose um i have this one forget what it's called but it's a very weird um beginning game that i do every time i try to do other starts but it's just how i do it and it, i always notice even on the three minute games i'll make my first move and instead of making their first move real quick it takes like three seconds they're like wait what's okay okay now now we'll go forward with it um but yeah when i uh hearing about bobby fisher playing you know 30 people at a time <laughs> yeah. i was like how does he do that how does he remember the board and dawned on me he doesn't remember the board he looks at the board as a brand new board every single time and makes the best move he can and wins most of the games because he's good at making the best move every time and playing right position and he actually i think it was bobby fisher invented this is on the chess app chess 960 where it is all the pawns are normal but the back line of pieces are arranged in a random order and each person has the same random order but it's completely yeah. random and it just makes you think completely differently about the whole setup and that's so cool yeah it's wow. one thing about chess that uh, and I think life and learning in general that if there's a standard way of doing it, it probably will bore me. Yes, I hear uh, that. And I think that's uh, uh, that's why I like chess is because, you know, you can take a very standard, something that's been around for hundreds of years that, you know, okay, this is you know, in the 1600s. They, if you didn't move your king side pawn forward first, you were like an out, like get out here, never play again. Like, <laughs> right. not allowed. Yeah. And now it's like. It's Same thing as playing a, a tritone. You were like sentenced to death. <laughs> right, exactly. The devil's note. Right. Yeah. How that all develops, but uh, you know that's that's sort of the beauty of it too. And I think that's part of what this whole um, you know in between period, I guess as it could be called, that we're experiencing right now is sort of allowing everyone to reset and rethink how everything's going. And you know, it's the the whole of phoenix arises from the ashes. We're destroying the old ways of thinking, and you know, allowing it to start again anew. And um, it's like a like a uh, Noah's Ark flood situation, but for creativity and music, it's wiping yeah. everything out. You know, we have two of every animal, and we're going to repopulate. You know, clean slate.
And uh, just the, the thriving in chaos concept can be applied to this, right? I mean, how, how do you just accept the situation yeah. and adapt and overcome? Yeah. Yeah, I, I did it by shaving my beard. Thanks <laughs> that, man. I, I give you a lot of credit for that. Yes. And then I'll say it again. We can't appreciate it because you're, you're Dr. Evil in, in Austin Powers right now. We can't, <laughs> we can't see you. You're, you're this, <laughs> this ominous figure. Yeah, John, I told um, Luke I'm actually at uh, my fiance's uh, grandmother and grandfather's house. Um, I had to fly down to Texas. So I've got to experience flying on a plane in a pandemic, which is oh, why I shaved uh, to get the mask fit, to fit better. I'd wanted to for a while. I missed seeing my chin. Um, and my fiance was still, she's still startled when she looked at me. <laughs> sure this is two days new. Um, I will be getting the mustache back. Shout out to mustaches. Thank God. Yeah. <laughs> Thank God. John, have you ever had a beard or a mustache or anything? Oh, dude. I, if you saw me <laughs> if you saw me 20 years ago, you, you would not you would not think I'm the same human being. I had really? I had um at one point a mustache, just a mustache. Wow. And I had then I had a mustache and a full beard. Um somewhere between yours now and what Ben's was. Okay. <laughs> and um, and when I grow it out, it's weird. I get like, I get like um, red mm -hmm. and black. Yeah. You know, like an even, an even uh, uh, whatever. Distribution. Yeah. yeah. And I used to have also like, and it's growing back now. I got the hat on, but like massive curly hair. Like it just grows all the way down. Like I used to have hair, like if, I, if you straightened it out, it was like down to my stomach. Oh, I, I did know that you used to have really long hair. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, I posted a really embarrassing picture of it like a few months ago. Okay, I might have seen that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Our, uh, why did I do that? Why we've been I, asking our guests. Why did I post it? Why did I do it in the first place? <laughs> we've been asking our guests to send us a picture to use. Uh, so we'll, we'll need a picture of you with full beard or hair. That's gonna be. That's gonna need to be the picture <laughs> for the episode, man. Sorry. And I, I will need. We'll have to do another podcast after this about hair care for long hair because I am just at my wits' end. <laughs> at, at oh all. yeah, man. Oh, I, just, I, just, I cut it off. Yeah. You got, so you got a nice wave. And like, now it looks perfect. Yes. <laughs> you can take your hat off and it looks good. Like it's still like, that's still a human head, you know? Like I take mine off and I'm like, I look a completely different person. It's the John, take your hat off. Unmanageable curly head of hair. Of take all off the hat. For the people want to see. No, happen? no, it can't happen. No. <laughs> I got a reputation, man. I, I'm, I'm the guy, I'm that bass player that wears the hat, all right? Yeah. Even alone got, in my house the, for nobody. You got the hat. It's like the scully cap, the Peaky Blinders kind of style. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I, I, I had um, a, a hat. I, not quite like that. It was a little different. I lived in England and Scotland for a bit when I was a kid. Really? Uh, yeah. My, my dad is from, was born and raised in Birmingham, England. Um, and so we've gone back. My little brother was actually born in England. Just we were living there during that time. I was born in New York, but, you know, we had gone back and forth. But um, when we moved back to America... I was in first grade and I had two of those little like kind of peaky blinders, like the golfer caps, you know what I mean? Like, and I remember wearing them in like this little school and like the older kids would make fun of me and stuff. And then the next year, those older kids were all wearing those hats. And I was like, <laughs> you know, You've been I was a trend first grade. Ever since, man. yeah, yeah. I was a Scottish trendsetter as a boy. But uh, <laughs> how many of those hats do you have, John? Right now I have three of them, but I've had about, I've had like seven or eight of them. Yeah. Yeah, and they're all same um, style. 
Same style. Yeah. Well, I used to have, <laughs> I used to have one that I don't know what kind you'd call it, but I had a friend call it the base commander hat. <laughs> and it was like a, uh, it was like half baseball cap, but then it had like, um, not exactly a flat brim, but somewhere between like this and one. Okay. And it was cool. It was a cool hat. It was sort of like army looking. Yeah. But so that was my hat for a while. I'm imagining one of those like beanies with the propellers without the propeller and beanie. I had one of those too. Yeah. <laughs> like the, the brimless fl flat brims. Have you guys seen them? <laughs> <laughs> They're bad. <laughs> yeah. Isn't that what Gabe wears? That's what Gabe wears. pretty much true. Yeah. You, you guys have a very unique hat game. You know, um, the hats are becoming more of a, you know, we like to talk base and life on this podcast. But it's really just becoming base and hats. Um, yeah, last last yeah. week was very hat centered. Very hat. We oh, all yeah? had a bunch of hat. We had Tucker from Cycles, and um, he's nice. a man that I've just seen adorn many different hats. And so we asked him to prepare a few, and uh, he didn't let us down. He brought in like soft robot foam helmets. Like um, <laughs> wow. it, it was impressive. That's really. Yeah, I mean, this is. Uh, I only have this one and another one. I'll show you my other one. Yeah. It's not. It's uh. Luke, how are we gonna get him to take off his hat? I want to see the hair. You can keep trying. Oh, no, that's not happen. We'll figure it out. <laughs> it's not going to happen. <laughs> oh, yeah. I like that oh, one. That's good. Yeah. It's a little yeah, puffy. A so this one I found. You stole uh, off a paperboy's head. He was selling extras and you just grabbed it. Yeah. I was like, who's on that headline? Trump? Get that out of my face. Get that hat. <laughs> I'll take the hat. Fuck the paper. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Get out of here, kids. What'd you learn? <laughs> I'm never going to his house again. Every time he takes my hat. Yeah. Um, yeah, this one I, I found at a, a <laughs> don't judge me, a bar <laughs> in Brooklyn. Um, nice. At the end of the night, it was just sitting there. Wow. Yep. So I was like, um, I'm not going to not take that hat. It's yeah. Great. No, that, that's how my drummer Rory has acquired most of his hats. I have, finding I, have, I have a theory about uh, certain clothing articles that they, uh, just like we desire to wear certain clothes and items, they desire to be worn by certain people. And I've lost many a great, you know, found and lost many a great articles of clothing that it was just done me wearing. It was done being worn by me and it found someone else. And then another one was ready. It's, it's sort of just travels around and, and has its own experience. Check this out, man. On my first or second tour ever with Consider the Source, we were out in Portland, Oregon. And there was this place that sold bamboo sweatshirts. Like, like zip ups, whatever. Sweatshirts. Um, yeah, like like it was made out of bamboo. Okay. That sounds uncomfortable. Was, yeah, I was gonna say it's scratchy. <laughs> yeah, it did. It did constantly make me bleed, but it looked really good. <laughs> okay, good. Yeah. Um, worth it. <laughs> yeah, worth it. <laughs> um, it was great though. No, it was really comfortable. I don't know like what they do to make them, but like that was like the thing there, right? So, this thing was awesome, and I loved it to death. And I'm the most absent-minded dude. Like, I lose things all the time. And I would leave it everywhere. I, I loved it to death. And I would just take it off, throw it in a corner somewhere, and then <laughs> leave, right? And all of a sudden, like, like oh, wow, where'd it go? Oh, no, I lost it. And then someone would say, hey, you left your shirt here. I'm going to send it to you. That happened to me, like, five times. It would always find its way back to me. Yep. Right. Or, like, I thought it was gone for good, but, like, you know, an ex-girlfriend had it or right. something. Right. The thing always found its way back, and I still have it to this wow. day. It's, it's not wearable. It's like ripped up, and it doesn't even. It, it, it was like for it had like this like uh, like built-in shoulder kind of 
thing, which I don't usually, I would never really go for that kind of thing, but this one thing was so comfortable. Um, had, but all that's gone. It's just like this like saggy piece of garbage thing, but I still have it. You curl up with it at night, every night, and uh, just kind of- I have used it as a pillow. Yeah. Blank, yeah. I mean, it's and like, I, Ben would say that that hoodie wants to be worn by you. It's well, it also uh, found times to like take a break from the stress of being left everywhere to like, okay, I'm just gonna stay at his ex-girlfriend's house for a while and I'll get back to you, but like, I need a break. Yeah. It's yeah, he's like, I love you. And like the way you first looked at me, like, I'll never forget that, but you're <laughs> Precisely. You're borderline abusive. So I'm going to be spending some time with your ex-girlfriend. Yeah. <laughs> clearing my head and you know we'll reconvene if we reconvene and then we did so wow. um, yeah. yeah have you um is that something like a skill you feel like you've developed like how is your um lose how is your ability to retain clothing on tour because it's something that i've consciously ha really had to work at to not well, i have your, I, my jacket and my fucking hat yeah, every you have your jacket back from 9 30 club luke dude i <laughs> i never <laughs> lost it i hid it on <laughs> myself in the van <laughs> i remember that so because it was like end of the night like me me and ben were hanging like it was getting to the point where both of our bands were like all right we gotta go <laughs> like, <laughs> it was a great night so, you know 9 30 club i'd never played there it was super fun yeah it was and, awesome. um, great venue, i yeah. was so bummed i had this leather jacket it was a gift from my mom from christmas a couple years ago and you know and i was like I, why would i do that like how, how could i lose that jacket i was barely wearing it tonight so we're in the van. I forget where we were going the next day, but the whole night I was just sitting in the van, just like so. I got a text from you at six a.m. asking to grab the jacket. I believe. <laughs> Dude, all night I was just like, "Why did I do that? I can't believe I lost it." We got to the hotel, and I at that point I had accepted. I was very disappointed in myself. <laughs> but I go and I grab all my shit out of the back, and there's my jacket. I buried it just like under a suitcase and all my stuff. I ran around that hotel parking lot, <laughs> around my, <laughs> like seven in the morning, like people getting up, just like, oh, like howling at the moon. Like, <laughs> never lost it. Yeah, that's, yeah. Um, that happened to me today. I was looking for my black sweater that I've been missing for like four days now. I'm like, dude, I barely left the house. It's only me here. <laughs> like, like, what happened? And I've been sleeping on it. Like, I get to under my pillow. I've just been sleeping on it for days. That's perfect. But, uh, but yeah, speaking of, like, leaving things, places, shout out to Dopapod because they have returned our stuff after shows that we played with them, like, I don't know, three or four times. Wow. Yeah. Like, there's been, like, there was one festival we did where it was, like, um, it, was the, it was the big what, like, a bunch of years ago. Um, we left, like, a bunch of stuff there. And... Um, they like, yeah, they just held on to it. I think I remember hearing that. Maybe you asked us if we could grab it or something and we were gone or something like that. Yeah, we, we rely on the kindness of our friends a lot. Well, but it's also like with Consider the Source, I feel like it's easier to spot the clothing where most bands like just leave blackjack. They're like, all right, we got like a dashiki here. We got like a white jumpsuit. <laughs> like, I think we all know whose band this belongs to. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Wow, that's awesome. yeah, I guess we have a, a thing. Yeah, yeah. I um, well, we, we did the co-headlining tour with Dopapod uh, a couple years back, and um, I found a hat upstairs, and I, you know, brought it to them, and uh, they, you know, they were like, ah, just go ahead and keep it. Like, it's fine. We got more hats. And I guess it was more special, but they were like, you know, it's, it's all good. I promptly lost it a day or two later and felt so bad to the point where I still think about it, and I went on their merch site month or two ago and bought another hat to return to them 
<laughs> and I got it, and it's just it's like three heads big. So I just I'll have to. I guess they could all wear it at the same time. But uh, <laughs> no thought I have a hat for you. I'm sorry I lost it. I still feel bad about it. Forgive me. <laughs> That's great. I'm sure they will. Uh, That's pretty epic. I do. I want to get back to basics for a second. Hey. That's our pivot point, John. Yeah, good segue. That was great. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> um, <laughs> so one thing I wanted to talk a little bit about, I know we were talking about the tapping and stuff, and um, I feel like one of the reasons that you have such a unique and distinct voice on bass is it seems like you're more almost inspired less by other bassists, but more by kind of books and philosophy and classical composers and all of that. Mm-hmm. Um, so I just wanted to hear some of like what your biggest composers are, and then I have a specific composer I want to ask you about. Okay. I'll let you um, answer first. Sir. Uh, so composers, Philip Glass, mm-hmm. Steve Reich, um, uh, Debussy, cool. Bach. Uh, I, I, I mean, I've been a Chopin fan for years, but I'm like really getting into him now. I'm, I'm learning a couple of his pieces. Yeah, on, uh, I have that uh, pull up on my tabs on my computer. I'll watch, listen to it again right after this. Wh- which yeah. piece is it? Um, his uh, Nocturne 2. Oh, I, I love the Chopin Nocturnes. Oh my god. So cool. yeah. Unbelievable. Yeah, John taught me um, Bach Prelude uh, in G and I'm trying to relearn that. It's, you know, that's the Zales commercial ending. That's how it is. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's so funny. I, I have another student we're working on the Bach Cello Suite. You gotta so teach was... me, Luke. I'll, I'll teach you how to, how to lose at chess. It's the, <laughs> it's the background on my phone right now. There it is. Oh, so, that's cool. And that's to remind myself to work on it every day. To yeah. such an epic, like everything in it is about the, the that final part to me. Like it all builds up to that final moment, but it's dramatic ascending thing. Yeah, to to make it to there. Right. Oh, so cool. Nice. Yeah. Um. Yeah. So those are those are some of the um like composers that I'm really drawn to. Cool. Um, there's more, but those are like the ones that I've been focused on a lot. Sure, but, and that makes sense. So who I wanted to ask you about because I'm just starting to get into this a little bit with um, a student. Um, I have a student, shout out Nick. He is a newer to the bass. He's good bassist, but he's a classically trained percussionist. Mm. Um, and he's very proficient with classical music and notation and writing and, and all these kinds of things. So we're kind of learning from each other a bit with this you know, student teacher dynamic. And he had gotten me back into this composer that I had studied a bit at Berkeley and haven't do- dove into, but some of the uh, Arnold Schoenberg stuff and the 12-tone serialism. Um, oh, yeah. I have Curious books. Okay, which book do you have? Ah, uh, you know I didn't remember. My, my yeah, I, I I know he has a couple of them, but I was just curious because um one of the things that we started talking about from last lesson is, and I had the same thing. He brought it up, and I was like, oh yeah, that was such interesting music. Um, and if I sit at a piano, I'm not really good at piano, but I love just kind of playing like atonal things, and but this concept of serialism and of twelve note tone serialism, where it's basically there's no um, harmonic or tonal center. All 12 notes in a chromatic scale are of equal importance. So like specifically, it's like you don't repeat one tone until you've played all other 11 tones in the row. Um, But it gets pretty intense when you talk about like composing via this matrix and these sphere grids. And so we were both like, all right, let's work on composing a 12 tone serialism piece for next lesson. And the more I dove into it, I'm like, that's fucking hard to do. So do you have any experience working in that, um, in that world? No, I don't. Um, and it's funny, like, as we're talking about it, I'm, I'm going to be completely honest. The reason is a, is a subconscious, like, angsty teen reason. It's because my dad, who is like one of my favorite humans, I mean, you know, of all time, he's an amazing human being and an amazing musician. I oh, had cool. a very interesting um, unconscious relationship with him because 
in, in, in one area where, so he, he got me started playing bass and cool. I'm so happy he did. He, you know, he kept on like trying to get me to do it. And then eventually he like talked me into it by teaching me a Jimi Hendrix song. <laughs> was he a bassist or a guitarist or what? A guitarist primarily, but he plays bass really well cool. too. Um, but anyway, I was like an angsty teen. So he kept on wanting to show me things. And I was like, no, I'm going to do it on my own. <laughs> yeah, you know? And so, you know, I started like just learning my own stuff and doing my own thing. And he, and he, all that to say, he brought that book to my attention. And I was like, yeah, whatever, dad. <laughs> <laughs> show I don't know that. I'm already playing, you know, Primus. <laughs> <laughs> which, which is, dad. <laughs> but that's pretty funny i mean the schoenberg stuff is like pretty advanced tonal harmony i mean that's crazy like that's what your dad is pushing on you that's pretty cool yeah well you know he he was really cool like he um and he still is he's the man yeah. but but he he taught like the way i learned bass was like on the job like i didn't really study it academically mm -hmm. i i just grew up around it so like i would wake up in the morning my dad's sitting on the couch practicing or he's recording something or mm -hmm. My grandpa's picking me up from school to drive me to a studio that he's doing a session at or whatever. So um, I, I learned a lot just watching him growing up. But also, pretty soon after I started playing, like I, I, I took to it, you know, partly because I grew up around it. Um, but I was by no means like, like a, a, a great bass player or anything, but he was putting me on gigs with him. So I was getting to gig on like professional gigs with like, pretty heavy hitting dudes who were all very patient with me <laughs> you know, being a being a you know pain in the ass kid um i can relate to so, that yeah yeah no i mean it's uh yeah me too no it's 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 uh it, he, he had a very cool like supportive but also kind of hands-off approach with me which i which i think i really benefited from but um but yeah like i, I got a lot of really great experiences playing with like some really great people yeah um but I also had this other part of me that was very like, you know, a teenager. <laughs> a teenager, exactly. Yeah, like I just wanted to do it on my own. I wanted to figure it out on my own. All that. Bear down to like the fact that he was definitely giving me all these experiences that were yeah, how I was growing. So. I would just love to hear a John Ferrara solo twelve tone serialism piece. It I'm gonna would, look it up, man. I'm I think that up. would be so. Yeah. I would love to hear your take on it. I'd be really I, to hear that. I literally think I have that book like on my bookshelf right now. I just right. you know. Now, now that I'm, you know, a man and shedding my angst. <laughs> and, uh, now you're ready to pick up the book. I'm ready. I'm ready. Well, you're, <laughs> a, you're a musician, so you'll always have angst, unfortunately. Yeah, exactly. You can true. always this channel it. It was yeah. interesting. Like, I, I studied with this. Do you know the um, a bassist and bass teacher, Jim Stinnett, John? Mm, no, I don't think so. I, I just asked because I know that he had a Federa, like, in, in these lessons that we took. And I, I'm pretty sure he's a Federa artist. He's an older okay. guy. But um, I took this like just it was like a basic like early on class at Berkeley this just like sight reading class, um, and I it's always kind of been a weakness of mine I'm not super proficient at sight reading, Me and too. so they were pretty it was a pretty basic class and simple reading, but he was a pretty advanced bass player so I think to make it interesting for him, all he wrote this book and I've been trying to find it everywhere I can't find it either I'm gonna see if I can order it online if it exists what's it called. Um, I don't even know what it's called. I just know that it's written by Jim Stinnett and that it's basic right reading, but it's all done from this 12 tone serialism whole, it's all written in whole tone stuff, you know? Um, so it's like you, you, the reading is easy, but the harmonic stuff is pretty complex and weird. And I, it was cool. I think he just did that to make it more interesting for himself, but it kind of introduced my ear to that, 
and I love the whole tone sound. I love that major third, diminished fifth, that kind of ambiguous tonality. Sure. Um, and then when you get deeper into it, Schoenberg, he hated the term atonal, which makes sense because that means without tone and there's all tone. The whole, it's <laughs> like the point of this 12-tone serialism is that every note's equal. So it's not like there's no notes. It's no, they're all there. <laughs> they're all there. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I think that's really cool. Yeah, um, you know, going back to like, you know, the what, the way a lot of people look at theory is that there are rules. Right. Like, mm -hmm. says who? Like, like, it's good that we have them. And believe me, like when I teach, I, Ben knows this, like, I'm a, I'm a stickler for the modes. Yeah. I, I, I talk about them every single lesson. Mm -hmm. And I still use them. It's like the, the leading principle for me about how I write and conceive music yep. and perceive music, right? Um, but like, you know, it, at the end of the day, humans were like, all right, we have these vibrations. Let's organize them in a way that makes sense, you know? And every culture organizes them differently. It's not like, I mean, they're good rules. They're good to, they're great guiding lines. We should mm -hmm. totally learn some of them. I do teach it, you know, yeah. and, I, and, I'm, and I'm pretty strict with it to an extent, but it's also like, after a point, wait a minute, so why are you learning all this? You, you learn it to, to forget it. Yeah. And yeah. Then, so it's kind of like, it, like the multiplication table. That's what I tell my students when I'm teaching modes or arpeggios. Like you want to just know them without having to think about it so that when you're trying to do other things, it's just kind of there in, in the background periphery. And it's just, it, it makes sense. And then you can choose to ignore certain things or choose to do something differently uh, rather than just like, oh, whoops, yeah. I did something differently. Yeah. Um, Josh Waitzkin talking about him before he calls it numbers to leave numbers like you, you, you cram everything you cram it and then you just forget yeah. about it, you know and then it, it becomes integrated and that's the thing at that point it's like it's almost not like the word choose is interesting because you know it is that in a way but it's also um more intuitive at that point it's not even a choice it's a feeling right it's, you've, you've run through these things so many times that the emotional um whatever that you got from them is now just able to be put back out like that. Well, it's, and it's trusting your instincts, right? But you have to develop those instincts first. Yeah, exactly. It's yeah, like it's, the whole concept uh, of learn the rules before you break them. I mean, that was like something as I keep diving into the Schoenberg stuff. That's he's written books on on harmony and theory, and he's he's very into it as well. But he dove so deep into it that then he gained that ability or that desire to break all the rules and create this whole new complex system. And then he created this set of rules and then just went to go on and break all of those as well. <laughs> right, right, yeah. Um, it's like this, uh, this book, Blink, by Malcolm Gladwell. Right, yeah, I've heard of that. Yeah, right. it's a brilliant book. But oh, yeah, it's all about intuition and how we develop it. And it talks about musicians and it talks about, um, like, uh, like, like one was an interesting study. It's kind of a, kind of a, a, a bleak study, but it was like a, a guy who um, did a bunch of experiments on relationships and like and um physical manifestations of um you know, like uh being content in one or not mm -hmm. and he did so many studies on couples that without doing running any more experiments he's just like okay um i could tell by that facial expression and that body movement that they're not going to last another month yeah like 30 <laughs> seconds he could uh, tell yeah yeah like, like, and, and he could predict it with like 95 percent accuracy yep. Wow. Um, but yeah, but the whole book is about that. It's about like, you know, intuition and, you know, how much of it is innate and how much of it is developed and we're building you know, up enough of intuitions are things like, you know, biologically inborn and what things are, yeah. you know, things you learn over time. 
It's, it's a really cool book. Really, really. You build up enough uh, data points that uh, the data sort of doesn't matter. It's like you, you have all that noise and then whatever cancels out and there's just like, okay, this is poking out from the noise. So that's the, the, the data and all of that work and that research is the, the ground level foundational noise, the cosmic microwave background, if you will. And then <laughs> you have like that, you know, poking out of like, okay, this is, this is where it's different. This is where it, it, it is, uh, you know, kind of pokes its head up above the water. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That's super interesting. So we've got some good book recommendations from you here, John, that uh, I'm, I, I really want to look into this art of learning book. Oh, um, dude, it's unbelievable. Well, are yeah, there, what, what would you say, do you have, if you have to pick like three books that kind of have helped inform your playing or just life philosophy or anything like that? Um, if you had to, if I had to put you on the spot, Desert Island List, I guess, if you will. Sure. Well, that's one of them. Yeah. Um, no. Yeah, that book, like, I talk about it all the time. Um, so there's that one. There's Effortless Mastery by Kenny Werner. Right. Kenny. What? Kenny Werner. Yeah, he's a he's a uh, jazz pianist who wrote this book about. It's kind of like about. It's like half Buddhism, half music. Uh, there's even like chapters on specifically how to meditate, and you know he talks about like in a very straightforward and and even at moments kind of aggressive way. But but it's it's to be deliberately provocative. You know, it's to mm -hmm. kind of say like, yeah. you know, wow, yeah, you're a musician. Who cares? Why is it such a big deal? Why are you putting so much pressure on yourself? Like, you think it's really important? Put a bag over your head for 30 seconds and <laughs> see how much music matters to you at that point, you know, or yeah. for a minute or whatever. Um, you know, he's, and he, he says things sometimes in a way that's like that, that's like, oh yeah, you know, you're right. He's like, cool. Okay, so now that we're, you know, back at square one with this, like, let's look at music with a help, from a healthier perspective, like, it's, it's there to, you know, help us grow and help other people grow and do these things. And like, you know, um, I don't know, he has all these really cool exercises, like, uh, like go to your instrument and just commit to playing five minutes of just completely unfocused practice. Cause like, I think we could all relate to at some point in our lives, whether it's in our past or currently happening. Um, when we practice, we are just, our mind is somewhere else or we're watching a show while we're doing it mm -hmm. or, you know, we'll play for a couple minutes. We'll just run over things that we know or songs that we like or just jam out, but we're not like learning necessarily. We're just kind of either having fun or, or not paying fully, you know, all of our attention to it. So he's like, do this, commit to five minutes a day for the next few days of just playing something very simple, connecting to what you're playing and don't do anything else. Just focus on it. Mm -hmm. and, and his whole thing is like, if you do that, you're going to kind of see like the joy in it. And, and then next day you might naturally want to do 10 minutes. And sometimes you might just sit there for five minutes, just focus. And all of a sudden you're like, Oh, wow, well, I want to keep doing this. Right. It kind of brings you back to like your beginner's mind. Mm -hmm. Right. Which is like, that's you know, something you and I were talking about, John, uh, in our messages recently. And yeah. I, this is exactly what I need to hear right now. I'm, I'm very glad to, I have to get that book for sure. Yeah. yeah. And that's the thing. It's, it's always, and that's for performing or, or writing or recording or whatever you're doing in your musical life. It's like doing your best to always start from square one, you know, no matter where you're at, no matter what's on your plate. What's just that, like, that in, innocent kind of childlike approach is where you're going to gain the most growth. And, you know, the, the joys of, of humanity in the conscious brain is, you know, imagination and, and excitement. And, and, you know, we, we, we play music. We don't work music. That's literally called playing yeah. music. And that's, Getting in touch with that, you know, I'm, as I'm 
trying to teach more and, and get more into it and learning more as well, I acknowledge within myself, I didn't, I don't practice. I don't like to sit down and practice, but that's not what I'm trying to do now. I'm trying to develop and grow. You know, I'm not trying to, I, it's the same, the angsty teen thing of like, oh, well, why do I need to do schoolwork? It's like, well, this isn't schoolwork. This is something I'm choosing to do, but it's still, I have these older patterns that have built up in my life that, you know, keep a, a distance between, you know, that's, I think, why I got more into piano, because, you know, it's like, well, this isn't something I have to do. This is something I can do. Uh, yeah. It still expressed the, the joy of music and definitely brought me back more into bass and music in general. Um, but now that I want to go back into the bass as well, and just, just picking it up and just playing around with it is is a joy. When I when I sit and actually do it, it's just like, this is great. This is awesome. And John, yeah. you, were, you were explaining how you also kind of fell out of passion with it for a little bit before Consider the Source. And yes. now you're back, you know, better than ever, just like really diving in and, and, and loving it. And that brought me such joy to hear. And it really inspired me too, because you're one of the best bassists I know. And, you know, you have this work ethic that feels effortless. You know, yes, you're working on this song for three months, but it's a joy. You know, it's like a ch the challenge is, it's like climbing Everest. It's like, yeah, I'm going to get to the top and I might die on the way there, but hell yeah. You know? Yeah, it's the process. It's just... Um... Yeah, I think it's like, it's just a, a matter of like appreciating that we can all do this, you know, like we can all play music, especially like at this point, which, um, which by the way, you know, like I haven't really talked to you guys in, in a while, but like, kudos to both of you for your bands just kicking ass. Oh, thanks, man. You know, yeah, it's really cool to see. I mean, you know. Well, John, we uh, first met you guys, um, Jeremy, through Funky Fest, which was the yeah. fall Dome Fest, uh, supposed to be at the same original property, the Domes of Beltsville. But there was a hurricane that year, so we moved it to the Our House uh, in, not Our House, but H-O-U-R, <laughs> yeah. um, on Howard, and right above Joe Square Pizza, where it used to be. I remember, um, yeah. Great pizza. Great, great, great pizza. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, you guys <laughs> came in there and just... John, John knows his pizza, man. You just considered the source the fuck out of our crowd, who were, you know, like a jam, kind of like fun. There was a lot of kids there that I had, didn't even recognize that I think were just there for like, oh, cool, there's a party going on. Yeah. And they came in and were just like, whoa, you know, this kind of <laughs> blew everyone's mind. I remember talking to you after and just how, you know, bright-eyed and bushy-tailed you were. And, you know, it was like your first, you know, I mean, I'm sure you'd played within the jam scene before, but you just kind of were like doing your thing. And it just, it felt so cool to, to be, you know, feel like peers with you. And I saw Yodo in the same room and that was mind-blowing. I was like standing right next to Michael Travis and, Jason Hahn, I was like, they're they're right here playing in this in this small little little area with us, and that's one beautiful thing about the the jam scene as it as it is, it's, you know, or the jamily. Like we we get to connect, and yeah, we haven't talked in in a while, and um, really connected, which is another great thing about this whole experience. Is you know, I feel I'm starting to feel closer to everyone. I've been talking to Tucker um, from last week. Uh, yeah, me too. Yeah, still connecting with him and everything. But yeah, to, yeah. to have that, you know, within the fans and the bands and um, just the idea of, of abundance and there is, there's not a sense of competition. It's like we're all in this together. We're all doing the yeah. same thing with different expressions and there's enough love out there and enough, you know, support for everyone to thrive. And uh, we all inspire each other in different ways. And, you know, you see, you know, like the, the comedy scene in, in Boston in the eighties or, you know, uh, other things like that, where it, um, it's everyone around just kind of bringing, you know, all ships rise with the tide kind of situation. Um, and it's, yeah cool to to reconnect with you yeah yeah you too yeah and it's cool that that um you know like the three of us and just like it seems like in in the scene in general 
there is that kind of community, not really competitive. Right. In a lot of other arts and a lot of other uh, genres in music, there is that, you know. Well, and it, it, it's a friend. It's a friendly competition. You know, like we're competitive in that we all want to do the best we can do. Uh, you know, we again, I I do things differently than than you do, and there's th certain things I won't be able to do better or you know whatever. But there's certain things that then okay, well, why don't I just do the best I can within this small range on the fretboard that I work in, like. Okay, I, I'm not going to explore the same way, but like, okay, let's delve into that, and you know, we're all expanding, um, you know, the what we can do within music, and I, I really look at this whole music thing in an esoteric way, like same thing with the clothes, like music is its own, you know, entity and energy, and it, it wants what it wants, and it brings in what it brings in, and um, you know, we we sort of serve it, and you know, we're we're like the the priests or the preachers of a you know, when we're at the church, like people are looking at us, but we're not, you know, we're just channeling that energy and sharing it with everyone instead of, uh, you know, just trying to create, like, look at us, you know, look at what I can do. Um, that, that yeah. never, um, you know, I, I never liked metal or technical music when I was younger. Cause like, there's no, there's no feel there. Now I know there's bands like Chan and, you know, Pliny where it's, they're intensely amazing and you consider the source as well. But you, I remember your guys said at Catskill Chill, uh, 2015, when the, the sky was literally falling. Like yeah, I remember that. the loudspeakers and said, "Take shelter, take down your easy outs, everything." And you know, it was the middle of the day, and you guys were like, "Well, fuck it, we're still playing. There's no storm yet." And you guys shredded so hard that literally, I, I watched. I went to the, the green room house, the greenhouse, and looked at the radar, and they they told, said like, "Yeah, this huge storm is coming," and it just broke up around the festival. Was like they literally shredded <laughs> so hard, it shredded the storm, and it it was a beautiful day. Yeah. <laughs> and you guys yeah, grew awesome. harder than I've ever seen you groove or most bands ever groove like wow. I was in awe and I have been that, that's that's the dragon I've been seeking from you guys ever since I appreciate that yeah it's funny that's happened to us at like festivals our entire yeah like, since we started doing them, I, I remember thinking that and then experiencing it ourselves as well where I, my my um, philosophy was funk brings out the sun same thing happened at workout <laughs> where uh, I think it was the first year at Legend Valley, same thing, storm coming, everything's going to go to shit, like it's all over, and we played a set, and it just, the sun just came out, also at summer camp, the year of the, the when I literally called a rainbow, like Babe Ruth, I was, uh, <laughs> we got to the site, you know, in the van we'd been driving from the airport, you know, went to the hotel, and got to site like early, and so that the crew could set up, and I had this like biscuit sandwich that just made me feel so sick i was laying in the back of the van like in the trunk just like curled up with the ac on because it was so hot and i had nowhere to go we had no campsite no tent anything and then yeah i was supposed to like oh the skies were just going to open up and we're standing by the side of the stage about 10 or 15 minutes before and i look over and i look where the sun is and i sit point to the security guy i'm like hey right over there let me know when there's a rainbow and we're standing on the side of the stage and about 30 seconds before we go out like we're getting ready to go out and he's like hey, hey there's the rainbow I look i'm like guys Let's fucking hit it. Bam. <laughs> epic picture of the rainbow. And the oh, you, you guys did like a photo shoot with that rainbow, didn't you? Uh, did, were there pictures that came from that? or Yeah, I guess there were pictures from, from stage, but like from our perspective, it was over the entire crowd. And it was 5,000 people in that field. Like it was so packed and it was this incredible, you know, transcendent magical experience. I started as very um, atheistic in, in my exploration of life. I'm deeply into physics and uh, that led me into quantum mechanics, which led me into a book called The Tao of Physics by Fritjof Capra, which uh, completely blew my mind and um, was around the same time I read Be Here Now by Ram Dass. It was like, this, oh, yeah. this can't be real. This can't be a true, 
way of expressing life and you know whether it is or isn't it's you know it, it is um, and that as I've gotten older I've become more and more agnostic from these situations like I can't explain the mystery and what's going on but I can revel in it I can appreciate it and consider it as it were yeah 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 I kind of followed a similar trajectory I was I was very like you know I, <laughs> I guess going back to being angsty I was very angsty, like yeah. yep no, there's no God, stupid, <laughs> whatever. Um, no, but I, I think uh, Eastern thought is, is the thing that kind of just shaped me more over the years. And, you know, like, like Luke, you asked before about like, like composers and other, th and other things that have like informed my music. And, um, and oh, and also other books, right? Like, uh, that was another book. Too. We need one more. Right. Yeah, yeah. Uh, one more the, the Issue at Hand by Gil Fronsdale, which is not like a, a this like the most popular um buddhist book on buddhism but it should be it's an amazing book and it's just these series of essays by this guy gil fronsdale who's a teacher in um northern california uh buddhist uh practitioner amazing like way of conveying the human condition in a way that's just we can all understand you mm -hmm. know and, and uh just an amazing energy. Just you, you, you listen to him give talks, or you just read his book, and life changing. So this book was like you could buy it, and you could just, or, or you could even just download it. He has it for free, like as a PDF. You could awesome. just go uh, look up that book by Gil Fransdale and and, um, and it's it's absolutely incredible. Um, I I used to buy copies of it to just give people. Oh, like right. if, if I thought that they needed it or that it would benefit wow. them, I, I used to have like several of them at a time, and I would be like, dude. Read this book. Here you go. Yep. Yep. Have them like at the merch table, right? You should have like a consider the source library that you guys offer, like the books. Yeah. A book exchange where people bring in a book, you know, take one, leave one. Yeah. A free library type situation. Yeah. That's a good idea. I like that. Consider the source library, man. You guys could do it. I don't need credit or anything. That's. <laughs> I, I, I'll check it out. I'll read. I'm, I'm going to check out all this stuff. Yeah. Your bibliography. Yeah, your bib. Hey, John, John, I did have another question for you that um, this is really important. Um, yesterday, as we're recording this, it is May 5th. Oh, happy Cinco de Mayo, guys, once a year. Um, yesterday was uh, May the 4th. Um, I know you guys are big Star Wars fans. Um, I saw your post today, the uh, May the Source Be With You. Mm -hmm. uh, do you, I wanted to ask you, you know, a lot of time when we talk Star Wars, people ask, like, you know, what's your favorite movie? I think usually the, am the, the answer is Empire, right? It's kind of yeah. the most epic. But I wanted to ask if you had a favorite Star Wars character and who that was. So here's the thing. So like I, I my relationship to Star Wars was more when I was a kid. And I was obsessed. I was like super, super, super into it. But um, Gabe is really the big Star Wars fan in the band. Right. Yeah, he's like, I mean, he's that's like, he is, he is the archetype of that geek. He's the Sith Lord. He has the double-sided double, double -sided lightsaber. I get, I get it. Yeah, yeah. it's perfect. Oh, yeah. yeah. We've, I've seen the pictures from Gabe's house. I've seen his, like, Star Wars collection. It, it's, uh, it's impressive. Yeah. But, um, I mean, probably Darth Vader, man. I mean, like, he's, he's awesome. And also, like, for me, there's, like, a, an emotional connection because of um, when I was a kid, my, uh, well, you know, there's a lot of, a lot of artists in my family. My great-grandma used to make ceramics so she would like work with clay like all the time her whole basement was just like oh cool like everywhere just all sorts sure. of different things but she made us me and my brother this darth vader um ceramic mm. that she put a light in it and then it just like it 
shining out like different lights, whatever. It was, it was pretty trippy, pretty cool. Cool. <laughs> That's awesome. Uh, and I ended up giving it to Gabe like a bunch of years ago because I was like, you know, like you're the, like, I, I, this I was, was for I you. used to watch movies on repeat when I was a kid. I was like yeah. super into it. And now like my, my geekdom is more in like video games and Game of Thrones. Those are like the things that are like, that's me i'm like so insanely a um, little more on the fantasy side than the sci-fi side yeah yeah um but uh yeah i was like dude like you i actually gave him a couple of star wars things i also had like a big poster from like way back then like when the movies first came out wow. that was like like some kind of promo poster it's probably worth a lot why the hell did i give it to him it's probably worth it <laughs> but um yeah i i have yeah. an i have a poster right now i'm not gonna i can turn the uh computer my uncle sells posters and i've always been really into movie posters and artwork but it's from revenge of the jedi before it was return of the jedi before Ooh. george lucas decided that revenge wasn't in the jedi uh idiom mindset as much but it's sure. this very dark intense like a lot of red and black and it's revenge of the jedi that's probably worth a lot too i'm never gonna give that to game yeah don't give it to game he won't even offer you a dime. He knows, he knows what it's worth. Maybe I'll trade. Maybe I'll trade him for the poster you gave him. We'll see. I'll see what he's got. Yeah, maybe I'll buy it from you. Yeah, you <laughs> yeah. still have your uh, your shitty ripped up sweatshirt, so you'll be fine. Yeah, that's all I need. <laughs> all I need. Yeah. Okay. Cool. So Darth Vader. That's not what I was expecting. I was I was maybe expecting a Yoda from you, but uh, Darth Vader. Cool. Yeah. Well, you know, I do have. Let me show you this. Yeah. I have a little, I have a pewter metal collection. Speaking of other areas where I'm a total nerd. Um, <laughs> it's going into the vault, baby. There he goes. I hope he comes back with the hair out, though. <laughs> Just waiting for it. Oh, yeah. There he is. Oh, that's nice. Little pewter metal Yoda. Yeah. yeah wow. Tell you what, Gabe's not getting that one. <laughs> yeah, dude. That, you got to keep that locked up. Keeping that one, yeah. That's I had nice. a friend give me a, a mug that had a picture of Yoda, and it said, Yoda, best bass player ever. Wow. So, John, I think I'll give it to you. Adorable. That's your payment for being on the podcast, John. <laughs> there you go. Wait, we get paid for this? That's all I ever wanted. I've, I've been paying all of our guests. You haven't been? Uh, no, I've been getting paid. I've been getting posters. I usually ask them for like an old, like, you know, vintage oh, movie poster each time. So That's a good idea. Yep, Tucker I gave me a hat. About that part. <laughs> gave me a lecture on Phrygian. Yeah, so John. Yeah, well, John, you've given us the knowledge of book. You've given us book, good book recommendations, man. Yeah, mm -hmm. oh, they're great. They really are great. You should all, you should, you should definitely read them. No, yeah, I'm sure the listeners on this podcast, well, everyone's looking for new books, and especially yep. musicians and bassists that are looking to kind of, you know, up their game and and explore some new concepts. So our uh, um our old drummer Dan uh, had a Kindle on the road. And he had a book on it called The Untethered Soul. Uh, I forget who it's by, but that became my Bible. And I got a Kindle that, uh, uh, you know, Christmas or Hanukkah or whatever it is my parents gave me stuff for. Um, <laughs> and I still have that book on there. And I will be throwing these on as well. It's nice to just yeah. pop in and read, especially if you're in a van or, you know, like traveling, just in between sound checks and stuff. And just want to kind of kind of check out. So these books are going to be very useful and helpful. Um, but let's also just be honest. This has been... As much as we want to play, not having to tour is awesome to take a break from. I've been having a schedule, you know. I'm trying to take naps, you know, get a nap in the middle Ooh. of the day instead of like, yeah, yeah boy. I know. It's been a wild and crazy time of just centeredness. I hear you. Same for me, man. Yeah, like I, I feel a little guilty because I think subconsciously I was like, like I needed this break. Yeah, I told my, I, I was talking to my bass teacher that too. I was like how awesome it, you know, scary and like we. I, my prayer go, prayers go out to everyone and everything like that. 
Um, but like, yeah, don't feel guilty. Like use the time wisely. Like don't, don't waste your time feeling bad about it. Do, do good things with it. This is, this is the time. This is the time to grow and to hatch out of the, you know, the shell that we've created around ourselves. Yeah, no, I totally agree, man. I've been reaching out to family and friends that I haven't talked to in a while and strangers. I've just been like, people are more likely to like reach out these days. Yeah, my mom said it's like a, a blizzard, like a several month blizzard with no snow. Yeah. Never yeah. Really friendly and like, Hey, how you doing? You know, like, Oh, it's cool. Hey, let's check this out. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. I feel like shaving the beard. I'm, I'm, it was my cocoon and I'm now coming out as a butterfly, you know? Wow. Yeah. I feel that vibe from you big time, Ben. Yeah. Yeah. And John, we'll get that hat off you yet. <laughs> yeah. Maybe, maybe next interview, John. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I, I look forward to having you back on here and, uh, and, and talking more ne next time we, we bring you on. I want to have you show us, you know, your looping setup more and, yeah. and talk more, more gear stuff too. Cause that's something I'm very interested in. Um, you know, I just yeah. got a looping pedal. I use Ableton and, um, just to hear your process, I think would, uh, would be great for everyone else. And, and for me as, as well. For sure, yeah. I'd love to. Yeah, this this has been really great. Um, yeah, I, I think I have to get get moving on on my day. Um, I definitely want to do this again, and I really look yeah. forward to, to watching this later and and checking it out. Um, yeah, man. Yeah, and so, John, that. people can find your album, The Harmony of Opposites. It's kind of everywhere you can get digital music, right? iTunes, Spotify, Amazon, mm -hmm. all that stuff. Yeah, yep, exactly. All the main avenues. Um, my dual album is um, mainly on Bandcamp. Cool. You can also just go to um, johnfarrarmusic.com. I got all my stuff there, all links to everything. Yeah, E-R-R-A-R-A. -R -R yep. Got um, it. Do you have any other live streams planned coming up or just kind of see what, what, when they happen? Obviously, you'll announce them. Yeah, um, nothing planned yet, but I'm going to announce them pretty soon. I'm, cool. I'm going to be doing more solo ones. And tomorrow night on the, on the CTS page, I'm doing one about like, you know just staying well while you're in quarantine cool. like exercising and, and eating healthy which is like I, I keep on saying that my life right now is a mixture between um groundhog's day and the first 20 minutes of old boy <laughs> i'm just like alone <laughs> in my apartment just like just working out just i'm like what else am i gonna do john that's the harmony opposites right there right those are pretty drastically <laughs> different movies <laughs> Yet it's exactly who I am right now. That's amazing. <laughs> the yeah. diagram of those two things is, is John Ferrara. Yeah, <laughs> dude. Old boy. Classic. Classic. Unbelievable. Yeah, that's a good one. Anyone have you, seen that, check it out. I, I hated the remake. Did you see the remake? I didn't like the remake, no. Because uh, they tried to read. One of the best parts of Old Boy is that one shot of the fight scene where it's oh. just going. Incredible. Yeah. And, and they tried to redo it, it and it was just like. They try. They it, it, it's so cool because it's just that like linear panning, you know. Yeah, shot. It's like you're playing like it's like you're playing a video game. I know. Yeah, you know? exactly. And then in the new one, they just try. It, I don't know. Like they tried to make it, it. It was just. It looked too choreographed, and it looked more like a music video than a fight scene. And the original Old oh Boy, that scene is very like visceral and intense. Oh man, it was amazing. It was, oh yeah, that that movie was untouchable you just leave it yeah you just make uh however john you got to compose a um what is it a, a 12 note tone serialism uh yeah. solo piece over that scene that's your homework yes <laughs> yes i love it yep. yeah whatever me trying to do that right right now not knowing what it is and the chaos of it would probably go pretty well with it yeah, yeah. i'm looking forward to it a live scoring of Old Boy by john yep. Farrar using schoenberg's 12 tone serialism that's yep. what we want next time but stay okay. tuned That'll be it. And, and one last thing for you, Luke. Um, yeah. You did 
uh, you you were doing a podcast and you're still doing on horror movies mm. yeah i'm still we're doing it less but we just did an episode last week i also want to talk to you about being on that podcast cool yeah i would totally do it because i'm uh I, it's almost all i watch movies okay by. cool for a long time it was it was like even if they were like terrible it would just be like all right um yeah. i need to do it i've been like that since i was a kid i love horror movies i watch them all the time hey, see john and the horror movie podcast well, yeah. so so if we did if we were to do one off what what's do you have like a favorite franchise or horror movie or one that you would want to do in particular um well the one that i'm like pretty stoked on that came out in the last couple of years was it follows yeah it's intense yeah i love that movie i thought it was great and really i think good. like there's not like there's a lot of horror movies that come out that are not great but you still kind of watch them anyway sure <laughs> But man, but that one just had such its own thing. It was yeah. so cool, so well done. Yeah. Have, have you checked out the last episode we did was on some Lovecraft movies. Have you seen The Color Out of Space with Nick Cage? No, I haven't. Yeah, I, I recommend it to both you guys. I recommend it, it to anybody. It called it's called Color Out of Space. Um, it's a technically 2020 film, but 2019, I think it was theatrically released. Um, it's based on a Lovecraft, a short Lovecraft story. It's by Richard Stanley and Spectre Vision. So Nick Cage's movie Mandy that came out a year or two ago, that was like this really intense psychedelic visual movie. It's like that, but it's a little bit less intense on like the, the art house kind of element. I like it more. It's more of just like a creepy farmhouse in the woods, alien shit, meteors, and Nick Cage going full Nick Cage. It's incredible. <laughs> nice. Yeah. I'll check that out. And I think, I mean, I, I might've just read a quick headline and it was like Robert and I woke up and you can't, I can't really count anything in the first 15 minutes of me being waking up as being actually real. But um, <laughs> I saw that uh, Peel is a Lovecraft movie. I see somebody told me that as well. And I, I don't, I don't know. I haven't heard anything, but that uh -huh. you're, you're the second person that's mentioned that to me that I can't wait. I love Jordan Peele's entry into horror, man. I, I, I was a big fan of Get it's Out. I was also a big fan of Us. Yeah. Yeah. But anyway, yeah, we'll talk. All right, good, man. I'm going to have yeah. you on the pod. Sounds like they're after you, John. You better get moving. <laughs> <laughs> it's that Long Island life. Yeah. <laughs> That's right, so okay. We'll be in touch. You know, it's that funny that you mentioned it too, John, just because I was uh, talking to my girlfriend, Jen, last night. And mm -hmm. I was like, you know, yeah, we're, we're doing that. We're having uh, John Farrar on the podcast tomorrow. And she's like, she's like, dead last podcast? And I was like, no, like the back to basics. So I mean, uh, <laughs> like, that's a good, like, you're right though. Like he would be, uh, I like, that would be, I, I should have him on that one as well. Yeah, no, I'm super into horror, man. That's, All right, uh, great. Cause you, you, you're a Stephen King fan too, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Stephen King. All right, so we, yeah, before we go too off the deep end in the horror, I don't want to have too much of like a Venn diagram overlap with the podcast. So. Yeah, right. I'm, I'm yeah, yeah, ben, you can go on your day. We're going to continue. <laughs> yeah, I, I, got, I got a book. I can read. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you can just read and we're just going to veer off into horror podcasts. All right, yeah. Go with me. <laughs> that would be yeah. a great, that would be actually great. Just Ben, just like reading some philosophy. Yep. <laughs> talking about not based stuff. Wait, ready? Here, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I just. <laughs> yeah. Hey, your I, I to your, your, uh, your super villainy. Cool. Yeah. <laughs> James Bond layer. I also thought it was funny how, like, when you finally were able to see you, Ben. Yeah. When it was finally like, you know, in the dark and the light, like we started talking about like Buddhism and. Yeah, yeah, and then there's like light shining down here, rainbows and all sorts of stuff. It's like wow. I thought that there was one moment where you were just a dark silhouette and you said something about and applying to like Buddhism. 
and you just lean forward and all of a sudden it was just white behind you. <laughs> I, th I think this is going to be one of the most interesting visually um, back to basics episodes. We've yeah, my, my, the production level is going, uh, going through the roof here. Yeah, yeah I've, uh, I've had a feeling for a while that um, everything is going according to plan. It's just we don't know who's planning it. Whoa. And with that, <laughs> back to basics. Back John, we're going to play some chess. I'm really excited to, to reconnect with you. Um, Luke, go fuck yourself. And um, we'll, uh, we'll talk soon. This will be probably put out on next Monday, right? Yeah. And, uh, yeah, and I'm going to hit you up as well, John. I'd love to take some lessons as well, man. So I'm going to get asked about that. I love that, man. Yeah, hit me up. Yeah, John, we should, we should just get together and like play chess game while we're doing bass lessons or something like that, too. Yeah, yeah. yeah we'll do like five minutes on, five minutes off. There you go. Yeah. Oh, it's like the, uh, you know chess boxing? No. Oh, you haven't heard chess boxing? It's, they, they do the same thing. It's one round of boxing, and then I think it's a, a five or ten minute chess game, um, or maybe five rounds. So they're like in between playing chess, they're sm beating each other up, and it's whoever either knocks the other person out or checkmates the other person, whichever comes first. Well, I like that. It's like, it's like um, brute force versus the brain. Yeah. Not, not, not to say there is, there's a ton of, of mental play in boxing. But... Oh, I thought you meant the other way around. Yeah, well, the way yeah. I play chess, I just aggressively throw the pieces. Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. Yeah, just that's like cool. cut up knuckles. Yeah, like I find the line them. Checkmate someone. And I win. <laughs> there needs to be a movie on that with, like, Hugh Jackman. <laughs> I'm into it. Yeah. Nick Cage could be the queen. I was, I, was, I, I was thinking, I don't know why I went to Hugh Jackman. I think Hugh Jackman versus Nick Cage is the matchup we're looking for in this movie. You hear that, guys? You hear that, Hollywood? We got, it. We got, we got concepts. We got ideas. Can I, can I leave you with one last very funny story just because you mentioned Hugh Jackman? Please. So um, when I was in, uh, when CTS played in India, it wasn't really CTS. It was like us, like the three of us with another group. But um, anyway, uh, one, one of the people that was assigned to showing us around was actually like this, this guy who was like an Indian movie star. Oh, wow. So, like, yeah, yeah, people knew him. He was kind of a celebrity over there. Like Bollywood and, kind of movies? What's that? Bollywood kind of movies? It wasn't Bollywood, but it was, um, I mean, honestly, I never really got a sense of what it was. I was, the, the whole, the whole experience there was just very like, yeah, but this is all crazy. And I was just, you know, I, I didn't think to ask really, sure. but, um, but he was getting recognized everywhere or whatever. But uh, he took us to a sports match called Kabaddi, which is like the big sport there, which it's huge. It's, it's nationwide. It's like football here baseball here but like no one knows about it outside of it. never heard of it yeah never heard of yeah, it yeah no never heard of it yeah we kept on like seeing seeing it like on the tv when we were eating lunch and whatever and like looking around at all the other people that were part of this um this uh tour that we were doing and everyone was just like what the hell is this it's it's a bunch of grown men with like shorts that are let's be honest too high <laughs> it's pretty much just plain tag they're just like, it looks like they're just grown men, just like like five or six guys just trying to touch this other guy and he's just trying to swat their hands away. It's like, this is a game? Like, this is like a, great, a game that grown men play that everyone loves? Okay, anyway. So, um, anyway, we have, we, we want to know what it's about. So we ask him, he's like, how about I bring you guys to a game? Oh, like, are you kidding me? It's like, and he brings us to like the best seats. It's like sitting like, you know, like, like, like those home plate. Seats and like, and like a, a, a you know, like a baseball game or whatever. Right. I'm like, yeah, this is great. So anyway, at one point, this guy, he looks over at me and he starts like whispering to his friend or whatever. I'm like, it's weird. <laughs> and he comes up to the guy who's like our, um, 
our, our like showing us around, right? And he's like, he asks him a question and he starts laughing. And he looks over to me, he's like, hey man, he thinks you're Hugh Jackman. <laughs> and I'm like, what? Like, are you Epic. kidding? Yeah, he's like totally, he's like, he's like, what, what should I tell him? I'm like, tell him I'm Hugh Jackman. Did you sign autographs? Yeah, well, he, he, he like, you know, like gestured for a picture. And I was like, yeah, sure, man, come on over. So got a picture of him. And to this day, this dude thinks he met Hugh Jackman at a company match. Amazing. And, and he met. And you like, think you're not Hugh Jackman. Eric Weird, Jazz Fusion World Music Band. It's funny. I heard uh, yeah, Jackman told me a story about he got recognized as John Ferraro from Consider the Source once. Wow. Really? Yeah. Who did? Hugh Jackman. Yeah. Oh, he did. Yeah. It happens to him a lot. Yeah, you know, he, he's supposed to be a very chill and approachable guy, um, lives in New York. My, my dad one time was working in a building that he was in, and apparently he was just in the elevator with his dog. He was like, all right, good day, however you, Hugh Jackman talks. But, uh, <laughs> I, I, I'm sure that you helped perpetuate that uh, reputation he has of being a nice guy, John. So uh, people in it, oh, Hugh Jackman is the greatest guy. So nice. So yeah, he's nice. amazing. <laughs> just ask yeah. him. There's great hats too. <laughs> great hats. Great yeah, hats. That huge. That's epic. Yeah. So anyway, I'll leave you with that. <laughs> I love it. Thank you for that. I look forward to next time, John. Yeah. yeah thanks, John. Thanks for having me, guys. All right, buddy. Stay well. We'll talk to you soon. Sounds good. Take care, guys. All right. Peace, man. All right. John that was great. That was great, man. I, you, you know that that guy is a wealth of knowledge. You know we were going to get some good nuggets there. That was, yeah, I knew, I knew it would get more technical, and I also knew it would, it would get, you know, it would be kind of jo jovial and, like, fun and, and cool. He's such, he's such a nice guy. And, such a, and philosophical, a too, right? I mean, he's yeah. such a – you guys are both such students of life. You know, I'm just here to provide comic relief and talk about occasional Nick Cage. You do your research, which I like. I did not even – I mean, you know, I've been busy, obviously, these past couple of days, but uh, – Traveling, yeah. We're, we're, we're a good team there, kid. You sure are, buddy. Right. Back to basics. Big thanks. Back to basics. It's been good to get back to basics after that, uh, that non-week off week off. Because we haven't said it's going to be every week. But no. it could be. It could be. Yeah, I think as long as we're keeping it consistent. Obviously, we, we both have different schedules. And it can be tough sure. to do every week. But I think it's a good goal to set if it's every other week, every now and then. But, um, yeah, people have been expecting to, to see him on Mondays at 2.30. So, um whether it's every week or every other week, we're just going to keep trying to be consistent about it. And um, and tune in next week. I'm going to shave the middle part of my head. Really? Yep. No. Are you going to cut your hair? Uh, I'm actually going to have Cece's mom do it. Amy really? is cutting uh, Mark's hair. And I think, not short, but I need it just a little more controlled. And, you know, okay. why not? So. Yeah. Hey, man, M match the uh, match the, the bare chin there. Someone, someone said, uh, you lost your beard. It looks like it went straight to your head. <laughs> I like that. You look like less of a wizard, but um, but um, you have a very nice, well-defined chin. I have to congratulate you on. I haven't seen it in eight years. I think I'm not wow. joking. Eight uh, eight years, huh? I think so. Last time I shaved yeah. and cut, I did. I didn't even shave it clean. I uh, had a big old like full beard. There's a, a video of it. I'm, I posted on Facebook recently of a. Um, I had a like one a day picture or every day where I take a picture of myself every day and it did a time lapse like automatically for me and it was of the beard growing. And then I had gotten arrested after a show in Waldorf, Maryland. Um, it's Greg's birthday on Halloween and oh, wow. driving back. And you know, our friend was driving. He was sober, but we were smoking a blunt like as we were leaving. And Waldorf's were good Charlotte's from, I think. Uh, but it's kind oh. of like bumfuck Maryland a little bit. Shout out to bumfuck Maryland. Um, yeah. <laughs> and uh, yeah, we got pulled over. Um, I 
took the fall for everyone. They kept finding, you know, they found my stuff first, like, you know, a bowl and a grinder. And then they went to someone else's backpack, found another grinder. Oh yeah, that's mine too. I put it in their backpack and, um, had, I went back in for, you know, I could have accepted 18 months unsupervised probation. And I was like, I'm a touring musician. Is there any other option? And I talked, to, I didn't even pay for a lawyer. Cause I was like, you know, it's weed. What, you know, I'll take whatever is going to happen. So yeah. be it. I don't have a job. If I get arrested for weed, um, it would have sucked. But uh, yeah. he's like, yeah, we had a uh, someone, you know, kept getting arrested and breaking their probation. The judges finally, you know, they came in. He's like, do you want to just go to jail for a couple days and then be good with it? And so I said, well, well, let's ask the judge when I get in there. So we go in. He's like, okay, so 18 months on supervised probation. You know, what do you what do you say? I was like, Is it, can I just go to jail for a little bit instead? And yeah. He's like. Yeah, about 48 hours, uh, you know, like Thursday, you know, when do you want to go in? And it's like, well, Papadozio is playing Saturday night. So how about, I work Wednesday. Can I go in th uh, Thursday at 1 p.m.? The classic response. So you can go to jail. When would you like to go in? Well, Papadozio said. Yes, yeah, so let's see. I got it. And they were in my dream last night, too. It was a weird dream. I recorded it. I'll have to, uh, to tell you about it. Uh, gave Mike Healy a big old hug, but he was half Brock Butler. It was very weird. Wearing a fedora. Wow. Oddly enough. Quite a dream. Um, but yeah, I, uh, for that court appointment, I figured I would shave down this ridiculous, you know, yeah. obviously a, uh, terrorist and like bad for society type of beard situation yeah. and shaved it down. Judge, I don't think looked up once I get in there. He's just looking at the paper. Everything's down here. I was like, I could have kept the fucking thing, but that's the last time I shaved and it didn't even go down to the chin. And, um, I wow. think my girlfriend's terrified now. So yeah. is that what you did? did? Did you go to jail for 48 hours? I went to jail for 48 hours, yeah. I saw a guy get hit in the head with a tray. I uh, did some push-ups. I wrote a poem with a little pen that had a plastic tube so that if you stab someone, it, the thing would go out so you couldn't actually do it. I kept all that stuff. I don't know where it is now. Um, but you were really prepared on, on all cylinders for whatever was going to happen in there. Yeah, yeah. And when the guy got hit in the head with the tray, he was like a like obviously doped out or recovering from something. And they let I didn't even go into the, you know, I was in the like, the holding area before you go, you know, not, not the drunk tank, but like the next level, like when you, the intake, yeah. um, usually you're there for a few days to a week, I guess. And then you go into the main, you know, general population or whatever. Um, but, uh, yeah, I was there for 48 hours. My cellmate was in for, uh, not paying child support and he's homeless and he was gonna be there for six months and they didn't let, you don't get to go outside at all in that jail. So he was going to be inside for six months. Only recreation was like in a basketball court. And I remember it's like, this whole system is beyond fucked up. And then now with the whole COVID situation, I thank goodness they're letting people out, but yeah. nonviolent offenders, you know, they should be helped and supported. And, you know, yep. if you're a drug addict, you should get treatment, not go to jail. But um, the American judicial I, system is I was addicted to weed and I went to jail and I turned out great. So I guess. Look at, and, look, and look at now, it's like he wouldn't have happened in a matter yeah. of a few years. It's just mm -hmm. like, it's a reflection on the the system more than the person in those. Scenarios. It's been nice to to get the the clear face on my own terms. Um, yeah, not f fuck some judge, man. You you did it for your girl. Yeah, and, for, and yeah. for me a little bit too. I feel like for the I podcast, mostly, I did it mostly for you. I I got rid of the mustache for her, but I did everything else for you. Oh, I appreciate that. Actually, she liked the mustache, and I got it. I unfortunately everyone's doing mustache now, so I feel like a poser. If I grow it in, but you know. Well, you guys are on tour with Goose for a while, so you know. That's what I'm saying. I don't. I. I had, I was thinking about cutting my hair and cutting my beard and then like a few years ago and then Manny got a haircut and cut his, you know, got everything clean and I was like, fuck, well, I can't do it now because he right. just did it, you know, that's right. one of the ways I, I do things. It's just like, if someone else has done it or is doing it, it's out, I have to do something sure. else. I, I, we talked about this when we were on the road together. I was talking with Greg about it a bit too, like with the hair, 
it was right after I cut it, you know? And he's like, oh, like, you cut the hair. And I was like, yeah, you know, like, it had been long for a while, but I didn't want it to become, a, like, a part of me. It's like, Greg's hair is a part of his persona and his performance, you know what I mean? That's what I thing. wanted to get, get there with the man bun. I was like, I don't want that to be my, a trait that people yeah. said. Well, that's what, when, when John was talking about the hat, like, he's, you know, that's his thing. Greg has the pajama pants and the hair. My thing from college was to not have a thing. I want to be known as the guy who is constantly evolving and changing and right. you know i've gotten the beards become a thing now which is great because now i can it's gone fuck off and the hair is the same thing you know i i do want to now that i have the, the the fan that blows my hair and makes me look like you know i'm on baywatch when i'm play, taking a bass solo i do love your fan yes i have i have the best fan in the world it uh, is a wild fan i mean this thing is like a fucking self-contained like ac unit it is it's its own it's its own entity it it, it found me we found each other really it's the same one that tim palmieri has when it if we if we play with pigeons or kung fu or anybody, I, I I really like to set myself up in front of either yours or Tim's yeah. fan. Yeah, well, I've had an idea to have the uh, fans facing out into the audience too. I think it was at my first outdoor fish show where Trey hits this like me and like every I guess everyone like lifted up or something because wind just swept through the crowd. This oh, is wow. a moment that like you know is it magic? Is it you know God or the universe or is it just everyone moved differently because of a note? You know, or did Trey have an outward facing fan? Or did Trey have an outward-facing fan that got me on the lawn, you know, half a football field away? Probably that, you know, he is powerful. I mean, dude, those, the, the fish community, high-tech shit. I believe it's pronounced pahish, but yeah. Pahish. Oh, yeah, you're right. No, my mistake. I'm, I'm sorry to be ignorant to any pahish fans out there. Well, and I'm sorry that I have to pee, so it's been yeah. real. Yeah, well, you did a good job holding it. I did have to pee at one point in the podcast. That's awesome. I feel like I can sneak out and pee when people are just listening. It doesn't matter when they can see. It's more like, you know what I mean? Like I, I'll send you a couple of empty Gatorade bottles. You'd be just fine. Yeah, I, yeah, that's what, like, I'd I mean, not, baby. if you had a bucket down here, I'd be fine. But yeah. It's called the fuck it bucket. Fuck it bucket, man. Hey, we've, we've, lived, in, uh, we've lived in vans before. I, I, I wouldn't call that living by any means, but yes, I know what you're saying. Well, we've had to use buckets and, and Gatorade yeah. bottles. and. Yeah. Yes, yes, indeed. And, and, and hats. and Yep. And, uh, and with that, I'll make sure to, to just edit this out at the end of the episode. And uh, yeah. we'll, uh, you know, let's do, the, do our, uh, our theme song. Ready? One, yeah. two, three. And then some Ferrara. I'm angsty and I wear a hat. Woo! All right, bud. All right, I can't wait to get back to basics with you again, and uh, we'll uh, we'll talk soon, and we'll link up, and have a great Tuesday if that's what fucking day it is. Something like that. All right, you too, brother. See, See you later. Later. Peace.